Hello and thank you for joining Haaretz Weekly. With you in studio, Amir Tibon. After days of tension and violence in Jerusalem, starting from Temple Mount, the holiest site in the city, and threatening to spread elsewhere in Jerusalem and in the country, we'll try to understand what is it all about, how did it start, and could it bring down the Israeli government. Joining us will be senior Haaretz analyst Anshel Pfeffer and our Jerusalem correspondent Nir Hasson. The conversation with them, up next. I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher It was supposed to be a week of celebrations. The Jewish population celebrating Passover, the Muslim population celebrating the month of Ramadan, Christians celebrating Easter. But in Jerusalem, the past few days have been very tense, with violence erupting on Temple Mount, threatening to spread to other parts of the city. And if you've been following the recent history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you know that what starts in Jerusalem usually doesn't end there. To understand the situation in the Holy City and the implications it can have for Israel and the rest of the Middle East, we have today two great experts, Haaretz writers Nir Hasson and Anshul Pfeffer. Hi, Nir. Hi, thank you for having me. Hello, Anshul. Hey, Amir. Nir is joining us from Jerusalem, our Jerusalem correspondent. And let's start with you. What has been happening over the past few days? Where did this eruption suddenly come from? First, I have to say that the violence in Jerusalem is, I think, less than it seems in the media. We had some clashes over Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa, uh, during Friday, with several thousand young Palestinians throwing stones and a few uh, Molotov cocktails on the police. On the grounds of the mosque and Temple Mount, what you're describing. But it didn't spread to the Palestinian neighborhoods of East Jerusalem or to the Palestinian villages in, in the West Bank. I just want to, to be clear that it's, it's not like last year that spread all over and started the war with, uh, with Hamas in Gaza. It's not the same story. And it's, it's important to, to notice those, uh, those differences. At least for now, you're saying it looks bad, but not as bad as the events that, as you mentioned, started the war between Israel and Hamas. Anshil, you were also on Temple Mount last week with a group of Jewish visitors who went up for a, a visit there. They're, they're not allowed to pray, according to the status quo that has been held at this very sensitive site for decades. What did you see? Well, it's true they're not allowed to pray officially. They sort of pray quietly, most of them. Um, some of them are using their smartphone apps to, to read the prayers because you're not allowed to take any prayer book or any outward sign of, uh, of Jewish practice or ritual. You have to just walk there on a very prescribed circuit around uh, the Temple Mount compound and about, for about 20 or 30 minutes and then... And then you have to leave. The police uh, are very strict about where you're allowed to walk. But a lot of people do kind of pray quietly amongst themselves uh, while doing that. I think the most interesting thing was is that, I mean, Nir has been uh, you know, covering this so, you know, so closely for so, much, for so long. And as he pinpointed, there was like one area in the southern bit of, of Temple Mount, in the mosque, in the actual original mosque called Al-Aqsa, where this group, mainly of young Palestinian uh, protesters, has been holed out for last couple of weeks, more or less, and there's been a few big clashes uh, with police around that building, but it's been very localized just to there. And as Nir said, it hasn't really spread 
throughout Jerusalem. It hasn't even spread throughout the Al-Aqsa compound. I spent about 25, 30 minutes walking with this group of Jewish pilgrims there last week, except the bit where they passed next to the next to that mosque uh, uh, in the on the southern part uh, of the compound. Except for them, most of the time it was it was, it was quite peaceful. There was, I mean, there, there were some there were Palestinian and Muslim worshippers also nearby, but they were not. Uh, for one, two or three women shouting Allah Akbar. For the main, it was peaceful. It, it was tense, but it wasn't. There, there wasn't a major breakout of violence. So even when we were passing the mosque, it was shouting. It wasn't. It, there wasn't a violent clash. I think the violent clashes have been mainly a show of force seems to be organized by Hamas because when we have seen there are a lot of green Hamas flags flying during those times. And as Nir said, it's in the early morning. It doesn't happen when in the main prayer hours on Friday, which is at noon. So it's it seems to me that this is a, a show of force by Hamas saying, we are here, we can control the level of violence if we choose to on the mount, but we don't want to see an escalation in other parts, certainly not in Gaza. Actually, I think you're right, but I would not underestimate those white prayers that Jewish pilgrims do in, in Temple Mount. For the Palestinian, this is the proof of changing of status quo in the compound and of, of them being pushed out of Al-Aqsa. Those prayers that the police allowed the, the Jewish to do there is the, the most visible change of the status quo in Temple Mount for, for decades. Nir, you wrote, I think, an important article for us last week addressing these uh, fears slash conspiracy theories that uh, both you and Anshil already hinted at in your discussion around the changing so-called of the status quo and what it really means. You wrote basically that uh, Jewish Israelis should know that uh, uh, the government is allowing more and more Jews to go on Temple Mount, unlike the claims we are seeing from some in the right-wing opposition in Israel, who are attacking the government for supposedly shutting down uh, the holy site to Jews. And just as important for Arab Muslims to know that there is no concrete Israeli plan or steps to take over the compound. Try to explain maybe to our listeners why it was even necessary to write such an article, which basically states the most obvious facts. Right. I wrote the article because I wanted to be translated into Arabic. And we translated and published it in, in Hazira, in the, in the um, Arabic section of uh, Aretz.com. And the reason is that if you will go in the street of Jerusalem and ask the Palestinians where this violence, where those clashes coming from, and why you're so afraid of, they will tell you that Israel has a plan, and the plan is to push the Palestinians, to push the Muslims out of Temple Mount, out of Al-Aqsa, and, uh, and the first step is to do what Israel did in the cave of Patriarch in Tehran when uh, they, they split the, the, the place and the times between Muslim and, and Jews. And, and, and this is, and all of the Palestinians, or most of the Palestinians in Jerusalem um, are sure that this is what Israel is going to do in Temple Mount. And, um, and it's based on rumors and fake news when they see these uh, far-right Jewish activists go on Temple Mount, they don't realize that this is not some kind of a government-led mission, but it's a private initiative of political activists. And they are also sure this is the mainstream uh, Israeli ideology, which is not. They are radical, very far-right uh, groups. 
they had some success, as, as, as I said before. They are working there for many, many years, and they didn't really change the status quo, and there isn't any plan to do so in the near future. So I wrote it because I want the Palestinians to know that some of their fears, not all of them, but some of them are based on, on fake news and rumors, and they, they don't have a base in, in the reality. Anshel, who is spreading this fake news that Nir is referring to and that seems to have some impact on the street? Well, we can, as always, blame social media and certainly social media has a part in it and the fact that it's not just in Jerusalem. You can be sitting in Pakistan or London or LA and be spreading these stories. So that's certainly the way social media works and the way fake news and conspiracy theories are spread in social media is playing a very, very major role here. But Let's, you know, let's have some historic perspective. We're not talking about a new dynamic. You, you can go back nearly 100 years to 1929, the first major uh, wave of, of violence between Jews and, and Arabs. No, we were, the, the, both sides were called Palestinians at the time in the, you know, in the land, and it was, seemed to have been sparked off by events happening around the Temple Mount. At the time, it was to do with putting up a mechitza, a screen at the Kotel, and, and, and the Muslims then thought that was Separating also... Separating men and women, not yeah, Jews exactly. and Arabs back and, then. And it, and it was seen at the time by some of the Palestinian or some of the Arab-Palestinian groups as also some an attempt by the Jews to take over the place. And that was also being done by, a, once again, by a minority of of the Jews in, in Jerusalem and in, and in Palestine at the time. And even then, a major uh, motivator of the riots that broke out was not really what the Jews were doing, was internal Palestinian politics. And Nir, who was also a historian of Jerusalem history, knows better than I do about the, the historic rift between the Nashashibis and the Husseinis and how one side wanted to show that they're much more resolute and, st- and standing fast to keep to Al-Aqsa. And we have this to this day. Hamas do not want another warring Gaza. It's, it's not in their interest. And you know, their, ma- their main base is Gaza, and that's where they want to keep the infra- infrastructure there intact. They want to replenish their own military arsenals, the rockets, their stores, and, and so on. You know, that's, that, that's their main priority. Now, at the same time, they cannot be seen for political reasons, for internal Palestinian political reasons, as not being the guardians, the ones guarding Al-Aqsa. So they have to have this, this demonstration of force. So it's about internal Palestinian politics. It's also about wider Arab politi- politics. We've seen the way that the Jordanian uh, prime minister intervened last week. We've seen other statements from Arab governments. None of these governments are actually going to do anything about Al-Aqsa, but they have to show the wider Arab public that they are. And you know, as Nir said before, also, it's, there's this, this kind of game within Israel between, between the Israeli political parties about the opposition is now blaming the government for not uh, exercising sovereignty uh, over Temple Mount. We've seen this so many times in the past. You know, we, we saw, what is it now, 20 years ago when Ariel Sharon was the leader of the opposition seemingly started it wasn't really the, what started off the second intifada but it was seen as seen as the event when he as leader of opposition went up to, to temple mount challenging the, then the government of el barak a few months later when he was prime minister himself and it, and it was pesach he signed the orders not allowing the temple mount faithful to have their annual event so th- it's all about where you're sitting in at, at any political uh, event and it's true alexa Temple Mount has been the spark or the trigger so many times 
of rounds of violence, but the rounds of violence have happened when there were other conditions and other interests in place. Last year, Hamas had more of an interest, especially after the Palestinian election was cancelled, of trying to show that it what a powerful and important and influential movement it was, and that's why it launched the rockets. Al-Aqsa was a trigger. Now, everything that Nira said is right. The police have, have changed the way they're acting. There aren't the Sheikh Jarrah evictions that they were imminent last year. These are all helping to keep the peace in Jerusalem. But also the wider picture is that the main players, Israeli government, Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, have no interest right now. It's only the smaller players like Islamic Jihad, which are financed by Iran, on the Palestinian side, and some of the far-right Jewish groups, so those who are also aligned with the Netanyahu opposition, they're the ones who now have the interest in having some kind of, uh, of escalation. But with the main groups without any interest, then we can hope we'll get to the end of this Ramadan month and afterwards uh, Israel's Independence Day with, I'm assuming, some more clashes in Jerusalem, but not, not having this escalation that we had last year. Anshil, when you mentioned Ariel Sharon and how he changed his mind on the importance of opening the Temple Mount, I was reminded of his famous quote, you know, what you see from here is not what you see from there. And he used it to describe the view from the prime minister's office. So, Nir, what do you see from Jerusalem these days that people don't see elsewhere about these events? Uh, what do you see on the ground that people are missing if they're just following the news and trying to make sense of it all? For most of the Jerusalemites, they didn't feel and they didn't saw those news that we are all talking about, right? Most of the Jerusalemites celebrate Passover and, and Easter and, and Ramadan pretty quietly without many uh, changes in their uh, schedule. And, and, and this is a good news. And I think it's success for both sides to keep limits those clashes and those violence, this violence in, in times and place. And I hope to, for the week that we left of Ramadan, I hope it will stay this way. Nir, thank you very much for uh, those observations and for your great coverage. And uh, we invite the listeners, if you want to understand more what is happening these days in Jerusalem, to follow Nir's reporting on haaretz.com. And uh, Nir, we'll uh, let you go now uh, to work on the next stories. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Anshel, you're still here with us in the studio, and I want to ask you about the political dimension of this. Because at the same time that we're seeing these clashes in Jerusalem, there's also a political drama happening in Israel. Naftali Bennett's government is standing on the thinnest, it's not even a majority anymore. I was going to say the thinnest possible majority, but technically it's not even a majority anymore. How are the two crises, the political and the religious security one, combined together? Well, the government situation would have been precarious even if there was no tension in Jerusalem, if, we, if, it, if it wasn't Ramadan slash Easter slash uh, Pesach. It, the government lost its its majority uh, three weeks ago uh, when uh, Yamina M.K. Edith Silman defected uh, to the opposition and now it's uh, the Knesset is now evenly tied opposition coalition. But once we have this, you know, this pressure cooker of events happening. And even if there's no escalation, the fact that what's dominating the news is Jerusalem, is what on the right wing they call sovereignty and Jewish control of Jerusalem, indivisibility and all those massive uh, overblown uh, slogans. And at the same time, this government has a small but critical 
element, which is RAM, the Islamist uh, Conservative Party, which even though I don't think, uh, certainly Mansour Abbas has no intention of, of leaving the coalition, they also have their own public. They have to be seen as standing up for Muslims in Al-Aqsa. So that's why they've officially suspended their membership of the coalition. It's meaningless because the Knesset is not in, in session right now. So the, the, the membership is just a, a symbolic thing where everyone is expecting them to, to resume membership of the coalition in a couple of weeks when the Knesset begins its, its uh, short summer session. But the fact that this is the, the atmosphere and these are the pressures that already exist on the different uh, elements of the coalition, on Ram from one side, on the far... On, well, not, not very far, but quite, quite, quite right-wing religious elements, which are Bennett's party, in this uh, coalition. It means that, that every single wavering Knesset member, every member of the coalition, can at some point say, "I, you know, I, I can't be, I, I can't be part of this. I can't be part of relinquishing Jewish control of over Jerusalem. I can't be part if they're an Islamist. I can't be part of a government which sends police into Al-Aqsa." So this certainly increases the the risk to the government. But on the other hand, two weeks from now, this may all be behind us and the government will have different problems. It will still be very precarious. But right now, this is what's most bothering people who are running the government, Bennett and, and Yair Lapid. It's this this very, very delicate balance over is the government seen as ruling in Jerusalem? Is it seen as being too rough and tough and un-Muslim? Uh, uh, worshippers at Al-Aqsa and just for one example Yair Golan who's a member of Meretz that's not one of the parties which is usually that worked up about uh, East Jerusalem either way said in an interview a few days ago that uh, they, that because of Ram's uh, uh, concerns then that's one of the reasons why the government decided in the last 10 days of Ramadan to close the uh, Temple Mount to, to Jewish uh, pilgrims that's not even true, actually, because this is, many governments have done so in the past. But just by saying so, uh, members of Yamina, of Bennett's party, had to say, oh, Yeragran is doing everything he can to bring down the cushion, which, once again, is an exaggeration. But every side has to make it seem that the other side here is kind of pushing them. And it's a very difficult balancing act to, to maintain. It's been going on for 10 months, which is more than anybody expected, but it's getting more and more difficult by the day. Is Naftali Bennett more lucky that all of this is happening while the Knesset at least is not in session and there cannot be a vote to dissolve the government in the Knesset? Or is he so unlucky to have Ramadan and Passover fall on the same uh, month, um, which doesn't happen in most years, uh, but seems to have really brought up the pressure this year? Well, actually, one of Bennett's people said to me the other day that it's a lot more pressure because of having Pesach and Ramadan and Easter and the run-up to the Israeli National Commemoration Days for, for the Holocaust and then for fallen IDF soldiers and then Independence Day all in one go. But at least it's all happening in one go <laughs> if they get over this. And this is a bit the way, the way they spoke about before the, before the budget, which was the big test of the government. If the government is still, is still standing in three weeks when the Knesset summer session uh, begins and... We'll have Ramadan and, and Pesach and everything behind us without too much of escalation. Then I think his government would have passed a, 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 a serious mouse. And we're almost there. We've only got 10 days left. Well, we shall see. You did write a text for us when the political mess began, explaining how difficult it will be to replace this government, even though it really did um, get a serious uh, punch to the gut from Silman's withdrawal. 
and is in danger because of the other elements, but uh, for Netanyahu to get back to power and replace it is not going to be easy at all. It will basically require a new election right now. So as Netanyahu was for so long, uh, over four election campaigns, only an interim prime minister, it's because Israeli law makes it very difficult to replace a sitting prime minister. You need to actually have a new prime minister before you can get uh, the prime minister out. And the new prime minister needs a 61 Knesset member majority. And Netanyahu just doesn't have that right now. Not in, not in this Knesset, not in the Knesset that Israelis elected more than a year ago. There will, there, there will be the need of at least seven more defectors for there to be a Netanyahu government in this Knesset. Hard to see that happening. There are too many people who, even if they're very right wing, have... You know, have, 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 have a lot of anger and and all these people have been with Netanyahu in the past Netanyahu supporters like to say this is a Rakhlo Bibi and just not Bibi coalition what they overlook is that almost everybody in this coalition has at one point or another been with Netanyahu in government, they're not against Netanyahu because they've all agreed to, you know, to serve with him in the past they've just learnt the bitter lesson Netanyahu doesn't cooperate with you in government and, and even if He promises you in the coalition agreement lots of things. Very few of those things will actually ever happen. And I don't see, any, I don't, I don't see enough people in this government changing their minds. By the way, those who have changed their minds, Shikli and Simon, are newcomers to, the, to politics. The ones who actually have the bitter experience of having served in the Netanyahu coalitions don't want to go back there again. And that's why it's not going to happen in this Knesset. And then elections? How likely is that to happen? Because, again, of everything we discussed in this uh, show so far, everything that's happening on Temple Mount, tensions in Jerusalem, maybe spreading to Gaza as well. We saw last week several rocket launches from uh, Gaza into Israel. So, on paper, it's a more likely alternative than the Netanyahu government replacing this government. The Knesset also needs a majority of 61 to dissolve itself, but the difference there is that if... parties as different as joint list and uh, the Smotrich uh, neo-kahanist parties uh, on the other side they can join together in a, in a vote to dissolve the Knesset it's not like they're joining together in a coalition which is not going to happen so for a majority to dissolve the Knesset that is a much more likely possibility but at the same time I think in that notional 61 on paper there are a lot of parties which aren't quite ready yet to To hold I think main amongst them is United Torah Judaism who are very worried that they're about to lose an ultra orthodox uh, party that is uh, supportive of Netanyahu is part of the right-wing religious opposition but you're saying not interested necessarily in an election right now unlike Netanyahu who really wants to have one because Netanyahu is looking at his entire block He's, he wants to get back into power he needs his block to have 61 seats in the next he doesn't care about about the division within the block between the different parties, but the parties within the block don't want to lose seats. And United Torah Judaism, and probably also Shas to some degree, stand to lose seats uh, to the Smotrich, uh, what is called the religious Zionism list. And most religious Zionists would not agree that, they were, that they're represented by their list. A lot of young Haredi Orthodox voters seem very attracted to Smotrich and to Ben Gvir, the leaders of that list. We've seen the way they've been uh, received in, in, in Haredi neighborhoods in Bnei Brak in Jerusalem recently. So and, and we're hearing it also from Moshe Gaffney, one of the leaders of United Torah Judaism, who he's saying it openly. If the government falls, it doesn't mean we have to have an election. We, he wants that to be a right-wing government in which his party is a partner. It doesn't necessarily have to be led by Netanyahu. Now for Netanyahu, that's not an alternative. Netanyahu 
as long as he's leader of Likud and we can ask you know, how long he will be leader of Likud because the other uh, issue that we haven't mentioned happening in East Jerusalem is the trial has been continuing and Netanyahu will still have to consider or is considering at some point signing a plea bargain. And if he signs a plea bargain, he won't, he'll no longer be the leader of Likud. And that's probably the real, we're talking here about Jerusalem and escalations and what would be the political implications of if there'll be more violence. The real political question in Israel right now is what's going to happen first? Will the, this Knesset be dissolved and Israel will head to another election? Or, and Netanyahu will still be leader of Likud? Or will Netanyahu, whose case is continuing, despite his hopes of the of the, of the case against him collapsing, the uh, the witnesses are, are so far delivering quite delivering quite a damning testimony against him. At some point, he will have to make a decision about the plea bargain. If that happens before the next election, then he can't leave Likud again. So that that that's the real political question, not how long this government lasts, but can this government last long enough? for the next election to be held without Netanyahu leading Likud. If and when he takes a plea bargain, one thing I can promise the listeners, we'll have Anshul back on the podcast to explain all about it. Uh, Anshul, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Amir. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much to our producer, Aaron Ehrlich, and to you listeners. My colleague, Alison Kaplan-Sommer, will be here again this weekend with a new episode of Haaretz Weekend. Until our next meeting, Shalom from Tel Aviv.